Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Oh, here we are, City Limits. I better put my headphones on so I can hear what I'm talking about. Uh, <clears throat> it is City Limits. It's the fourth Wednesday of the month. Um, Mark Allen's back in the studio. Hi. Hello. How are you? Okay. Emma Warren's over there. She's uh, pressing buttons and things. Yeah, Emma. Yeah. And I'm Kevin Healy. And I um, don't know what's happened. Uh, we don't know. People just come and go on the show these days. They just come and go. They do. Uh, they do. <laughs> and, uh, it's like a community garden. <laughs> oh, it is. It's wonderful. And we've the, the really good news is we've got a new teapot. Now, this is great. It's... Um, this is why I'm back, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's right. I was waiting for the Look, part. let's have a pouring episode, yeah. we, and we'll do it. If you could turn this mic up a bit, I think. Oh, uh, yes, if you could turn yeah. mine up a bit too. No, 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 just for the tea pouring so I can hear it. Oh, no, I can't. Because this, this was given oh, us by a listener, and I think she deserves to, have to hear it being poured. Do you want to describe uh, the teapot? How beautiful, attractive it is? Beautiful white china teapot gleaming. And apparently. Thank you. Now, I don't want to downplay it. It was bought, I think, secondhand, believe it or not. But she spent a lot of time cleaning it up for us as well. So look, absolutely wonderful. And here we go. Emma's cup now coming up. There we are. What a glorious sound. Oh, isn't, isn't it beautiful? wonderful? There you are, Emma. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay, so that ritual's over. <laughs> but thank you very much to the listener who did that. Just absolutely. And I believe there's another one. So we've got we've now got a serpent of teapots all landing in the building for us. Um, let, let's <laughs> hope they... From one extreme to the well, other. Well, the way they were disappearing, maybe we need as we many do. as we We do. We need a backup. Yes. We always need a backup We need teapots, a backup. So, That's right. Yeah. So um, we'll see how we go. Um... We're going to be talking about housing. Last week we did say we'd talk to Howard about who rang in from um, from um, Friends of Public Housing. Uh, and we'd talk to him, but uh, and, and we're going to talk to him today, in fact, at length, because uh, and I left a message for him this morning saying he's a bit of a fill-in for us, because yesterday we did try to get uh, another guest, but he didn't get back to us. And it's one of those awful situations where you think, I won't try and get anyone else in case he gets back. Mm. You're, you're stuck with too many. So we've ended up with, uh, we're going to end up with uh, doing with Howard. But indeed, there's so much happening in the housing area and Howard's so involved in it that it's, um, it, it's, it's worthy of a, of a long discussion anyway. So, it is. Um, but but we'll, we'll see how we go, yeah. Um, the uh, other thing I just wanted to mention was that, uh, says he, uh, yes, the, uh, well, have you got anything you want to talk about? Oh, uh, you start. You people. You, you, I, I notice you have a large, a large number of. Well, I of do have. Here, I do so. have, but I need. This is I the think biggest to get, collection I've seen yet. I need to get them into some sort of order because okay. I've just thrown them out of order totally. All right. Well, let's. We can. We can start by talking about the article in the. Was it in the Age? Yeah. Era? Yeah, it was the Age. Because you're a member of the Gnomes, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. Tell us a bit sometimes. about the Gnomes. Well, they're just a, an urban farming gardening group, really, um, that work to together collectively um, and kind of work on um, in private backyards. Mm. So if someone has some land that they're not using, um, they can offer it up to the gnomes. Brilliant. Um, yeah, and it's just a really great way to access gardening space. It's fantastic, if you, if yeah. If you don't have any. Yeah, ideal. And you get to share the produce out amongst yeah, yourselves. Yeah, exactly, and you learn a lot. Um, I think that's part of it is... Yeah. is like gardening together in a group. And good um, therapy as well, I think. Oh, imagine. yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah nice. it's great. So, yeah, I've been doing it in Preston, um, and there's a few other sites. Mm. There's a Facebook page. Mm. Um, yeah, they're doing really, really well. So check it out, folks, the gnomes, especially also if you have a garden and you, you for one reason or another, you're not able to, to maintain mm. your garden, 
the gnomes can come along and help you and grow veggies in your garden for you and share the produce with, with you and everyone benefits and mm. yeah, it's good isn't it yeah yeah it's really mm. good yeah yeah. And you're still involved with the community garden in Brunswick, that one there? And, no, no. That was oh. unfortunately my work for the Dole stint, ah. which I'm not doing anymore. But um, they're good. You're just, you just dole bludging now. I was, I'm now dole bludging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we're going to talk about. That's the, well, the good the good thing is you're about to lose some money. That's bloody good, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought you were looking a bit wealthy there. That's right. Because yes. um, they're about, of course, when the budget goes through, they're planning to cut the dole and they're planning to cut the um, the, the pension as well. Are they? Um, taking out the uh, the the. Um, money that was given to compensate for the climate price. I see. Uh, and indeed, um, yesterday in the Financial Review, there was an interesting page, the, the, the commentary page. Richard Dennis from the Australia Institute, who writes a regular column once or twice a month, uh, he had an article attacking the fact the dole was being cut and you know, supporting welfare, you know, the fact that uh, so much money goes to the rich and the poor of the ones being attacked, the old line, the uh, line we'd probably support, I would think. Uh, but next it was an editorial taking an absolutely opposite position, saying no one deserves to keep money now that the tax is gone. Uh, how dare people defend uh, not cutting the dole and the pen? And they concluded, I think what they were saying in the end was that... Um, that if you, if in fact you tried to, in fact get money to balance the budget from the rich and the and big business, then this would hurt the whole community. So by having their dollar and pension cut, unemployed and pensioners are better off. It's yeah, I find it amusing that people are still spinning that line. It's so convincingly being disproved. Um, and as I said before, you know the trickle down theory is about money trickling into the Cayman Islands. And uh, and nowhere else. So yeah, I I just find it laughable that people are still clinging on to that soundbite. You know what I mean? Okay, we'll fade that one down. Sorry about that break, listeners. But I just had to, um, to give Andy a message in relation to the the phone call we're going to make for the, uh, the guest for the for the guest. Um, now I'm going to ask you you all, we're going to, you're going to become the subject of an interview now. Mark. Oh okay, yeah, all right. I think this, I've had sufficient here. Just have another sip. Okay, yeah. this is an area that that interests you. Um, a report last week about Melbourne now being the sixth most livable city in the world. We've, have we come down or up? I've got no idea. I thought we were. Um, oh, anyway, yeah. we've. Um, for the un- oh no, we're, sorry, we crowned the world's most for the sixth time. I thought we were sixth in the world. We edged out Vienna, Vancouver, and Toronto. No, apparently uh, we're still the most livable city in the gee, world. Gee, that's amazing, isn't apparently it? Apparently so. Anyway, um, the interesting point was that um, our population growth continues to top the nation. The state had about 6 million residents in June 2015, an increase of almost 500,000 over five years. Greater Melbourne grew to 4.53 million, and they mentioned particular areas, the outer, outer east and outer west particularly, are where they're growing most. Um, and there was an, rising out of that, there was a letter in the, in the Herald Sun, of all places, by Peter Allen, who's a regular writer. Peter's been around for a long time doing some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember I've worked with Peter on a couple of things a few, many years ago. But um, while it is great and fantastic and all of that to have Melbourne named the world's most livable city, the rate of population increase in Victoria is a concern, as was stated when he quotes those figures. It is really big business that wants more customers and big developers who seem to be hell-bent on building as many dog boxes as possible. They do not care two hoots about the ramifications of rampant population increases. It is quite evident that infrastructure cannot cope with 100,000 more people every year. When is enough enough? We seem to be on this population increase treadmill with no real thought of the long-term impact on infrastructure and services, plus the overall environmental impact, job opportunities, business development and livability. It is time for a rethink before it's too late. This mm. is an area I know you're concerned about. Mark, do you want to comment on all that? Well, I mean, I would I would agree very much with that. I mean, um, Melbourne's population is, is growing too, too fast for good, sustainable planning to happen. Because if you want to plan sustainably... Uh, there are basically three ways of doing it. Can I interrupt here? Yeah. Just to address something else. A lot of people say when you talk about population control of this sort, or we, yeah. we shouldn't shouldn't increase it to a you know, certain level, it can become racist. Can you address that issue? Yeah, well, this is the problem, you see. There are racists that sort of come into the population debate and they, and they kind of swing it to a racist agenda. Um, 
But this is all the more reason why non-racists have to talk about it, um, because it is an issue. And if we don't talk about population and we leave it in the hands of the racists, they they sort of dominate the discussion. And then people end up going towards people like Pauline Hanson, uh, rather than actually looking at the fact this isn't about race, this is about numbers. And in fact, um, we can do more to help refugees and focus on helping the people who need the help the most, rather than the neoliberal population policy, which is to grow the population purely to keep this, G, uh, this Ponzi scheme, housing growth, high house prices, growth-based economy going, because that's why we have rapid population growth in our conurbations. It's not because the, the powers that be are trying to create a multicultural society that helps displaced people. In fact, it's the opposite. What they do is they, they make refugees the scapegoat and in the meantime, while making refugees the scapegoat, they have a very large increase of non-refugee migration in order to justify the suburban sprawl and the dog boxes that they're building. So actually, you know, there are thousands of empty houses in Melbourne. Um, 80, 82,000 or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's, there's plenty of space and ability to retrofit our existing buildings in Melbourne and create really good sustainable communities that help the people that need the help the most but it's pointless growing a population if you can't create sustainable resilient communities because in the long run it doesn't actually help the people who come here um, like I know people who say that um, who migrated here many years ago who say that when they reach retirement and they reach the stage or past retirement when they can't drive their car anymore, they're thinking about moving back to Europe because there's, there's no walkable communities for these people to live in. They're all very car-dependent communities. So we've, mm. got, to, we've got to change we the model. We discussed this last sprawl. week with the housing person who came in and was talking about aged residential places yeah. and where there are already so many are located on the outer fringes because yeah. the land's cheaper. Mm. That's right. Uh, but the, and they advertise them as having all these facilities, but in fact they're removed from so many facilities. Mm. Exactly. So you've got to have good infrastructure policies in place and you've got to have good planning policies in place in tandem with population growth. Otherwise, the population growth ends up being me meaningless. And at this stage, you know, with a climate change, rather than, you know, concreting our food bowls around our cities where most of our food is grown, we need to be making our cities more resilient. And there are 65 million displaced people in the world, and that's where our focus needs to be doing. And, of course, the people who need to come here the most, the people like refugees, um, generally the we create more sustainable communities when they come in because that's when you start retrofitting, that's when you start um, doing all of these things. It's, it's, mm. the, it's the big bucks, big business, big money growth machine. Mm. When they control population growth, mm. then we get the kind of outcome that we have now. And that's why people on the left need to have the discussion about population growth so that we, we realise that there is a difference between neoliberal population growth and the population growth that comes out of creating a compassionate and yeah, sustainable world, yeah, yeah. which yeah. takes a, a wider, a wider, uh, mm. more holistic perspective, you know. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well answered, I think. Yeah, I know. think so too. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of my areas, as you can tell. <laughs> Nothing like slapping ourselves on the back of it. <laughs> uh, okay. Speaking of um, getting to the outer suburbs, if you can get a BMW, you can pick one up pretty easily these days. I want to tell you this. Um, oh, is that right? This is good news, actually. Good news. The um, Yes, the, the BMW in Australia a few, few years ago set up its own loan company, um, called BMW Financial Services. They've also got Mini Financial Services and Alfera Financial Services. But they've been sprung. They got fined a heavy amount a couple of times, um, giving money to people who have no idea, no income or almost anything. A scathing review um, by the authority looking at it um, found the company had loaned 27000 to a single mother of 10, even though she was in casual employment and had negative disposable income, gave twenty three and a half grand to a refugee aged 21 who had been employed for just a month and whose income was overstated. And it goes on story after story. And it's pointed out uh, that um, in 19% of the cases examined, the loan was worth significantly more than the car's value, meaning that if it was to be sold to pay off the debt to BMW Australia Finance, the customer would still owe money. 
and BMW said in a statement that the company's financial arm had been cooperating with ASIC too, that's the authority, to ensure the company is updating its processes to meet all regulatory obligations. So in other words, they've decided to act a bit differently now they've been sprung. I think that's the answer, isn't it? So it would seem, yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. But... Uh, that's pretty awful, isn't it? But that's just... But you see people getting around in BMW, so there you are. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. That's right. So these... <laughs> So the, so the refugees yeah. can now. I'm going to pour some more tea. The refugee. Anyone want any more tea? Anyone yeah. pop up? Yes. Okay. The refugees now can go out to the. Oh, we'll go over that way. Uh, the outer suburbs because they can um, drive out in their BMW. Yep. Well, there we go. You see, everything's going to be okay. Yeah, I was worried right. for a minute there, but. Yep. But on, oh. All such things. <laughs> we do want to break the teapot. <laughs> nearly lost the teapot there, folks. <laughs> this is why we've got a backup teapot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the backup almost came into it. Um, <laughs> um, we mentioned some weeks ago poor Rocky Jacinko. She's the wife of Oliver Oliver Curtis, the bloke who got got he got a very light sentence. I think it's my opinion for. Um, for insider trading. Remember that case a few weeks ago we talked about oh, where yes. she was going to court every day and how he couldn't go to jail because of the kids, etc., etc. Exactly, et yes, yes. Well, she went on 60 Minutes last week, which sort of, as we know, masquerades news, but anyway, <laughs> yes. Channel 9. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, poor Roxy, yeah, she hasn't had the heart to tell the kids yet that her father's in jail because, you know, it's awful, really awful. And she knows he's not guilty. Uh, and she wore... Every day, apparently, I didn't realise, but in Sydney it must have been, every day in court what she wore was sort of part of the show because she works in the fashion industry. And she said, I didn't alter my day-to-day lift selfies because of the court. I'm in fashion PR, so of course I'm going to have a nice outfit. Uh, But she's infuriated. Poor thing. This is awful. Um, She said she was infuriated when people assume her lifestyle featuring the designer outfits, the Bentley, the private jet and luxury holidays, was funded by the proceeds of her husband's insider trading. Now, that's the insider trading she says he didn't do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which I found fascinating, that's all. Um, But she says she's worked for everything with hard work's got her, the, the Bentley, the private jet, the luxury holidays and the designer outfits, etc. Well, so, but poor Rock, you've got to feel for her, haven't I you? do feel for her. And the poor, little, poor little children. Yes. I know, I know. Yes, it's sad, isn't it? It is. Yeah, just because her husband's a crook. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, but that was a strange case, because I, I was commenting on that, because the, the other bloke, his, his partner, they'd been partners for ages, they don't talk to each other anymore for obvious reasons. The other bloke went police evidence in turn, in in turn for a presumably a lower sentence, mm. and and then went went evidence against this bloke, mm. but the other bloke by the time that this bloke went to trial, the other bloke had done his time, but he got more for going for the lighter sentence than this bloke got. Yeah, so you'd feel pretty awful about that, wouldn't you? You would. You'd, you'd you feel would. ordinary. You would feel very ordinary. Yes. Got not guilty all the way and fought it out. <laughs> um, and you'll be pleased to know, another speaking of radio again and things, John Michael House, and I didn't even know he was still on 3AW, but apparently he is. But um, he says that um, we're, Australia's turning into a lunatic asylum. It's a free country. He can say what he likes. Because um, he, he went on, um, he said that um, these young kids in these gangs, the black kids in gangs around, he presumably means the black kids, they should go back to Bongo land. He said, I wouldn't even be bothered rehabilitating. rehabilitating. I'd put them on a jet as fast as I could back to bloody wherever they came from, Bongo land. And he says he's got every right to say that because there's been a bit of a storm about it, people suggesting it might be just a touch touch racist. (laughs) Uh, Let me guess. Did you say that was in the Herald Sun? Yep. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yep, that's right. <laughs> and they, just, they, just checking. They would never do anything racist. Now, I'm going to spend the next couple of minutes reading an article. Um, uh, I've got plenty of stuff here, but this one I, I found really fascinating because we've talked, I think I mentioned last week, how uh, so many of the world's capitalist leaders are now making noises following Brexit and following um, Trump's success and, and even Pauline Hanson here, etc. Noises like they really do care about the poor. They mm. say it, but I mean, they're not going to actually do anything about it, thank mm. God. But, you know. and, but Joseph Stiglitz, I think most people know him, he's a, a former, um, he's, a, he's a Nobel economics um, mm. no, prize winner. So if you win the Nobel Prize for, for economics, you're not exactly a raving socialist, by the way. So you wouldn't no, think no. so. Joseph no. is a, a 
basically capitalist economist, but he's totally mm. anti-neoliberal. Okay. And he's written an article recently, which I find fascinating, um, just to expose them. He says, 15 years ago, I wrote a little book entitled Globalisation and Its Discontents, describing growing opposition in the developing world to globalising reform. It seemed a mystery. People in developing countries have been told that globalisation would increase overall well-being. So why had so many people become so hostile to it? Uh, I'll read this just... I'll just read it... Um, a little bit. Um, how could something that our political leaders and many in economists said would make everyone better off be so reviled? One answer occasionally heard from the neoliberal economists who advocated for these policies is that people are better off. They just don't know it. Their discontent is a matter for, for psychiatrists, not economists. But income data suggests that it is the neoliberals who may benefit from therapy. Large segments of the population in advanced countries have not been doing well. In the US, the bottom 90% has endured income stagnation for a third of a century. Median income for full-time male workers is actually lower in real inflation-adjusted terms than it was 42 years ago. At the bottom, real wages are comparable to their level 60 years ago. Now, I'll read on inter alia... Um, Branko Milanovic's new book, Global Inequality, A New Approach for the Age of Globalisation, provides some vital insights looking at the big winners and losers in terms of income over the two decades from 88 to 08. Among the big winners were the global 1%, the world's plutocrats, but also the middle class in newly emerging economies. Among the big losers, those who gained little or nothing, were those at the bottom and the middle and working classes in the advanced countries. Globalisation is not only the reason, but it is not the only reason, but it is one. Uh, goes on, this force is so strong that if there were no transportation costs and if the US and Europe had no other source of competitive advantage, such as in technology, eventually it would be as if Chinese workers continued to migrate to the US and Europe until wage differences had been eliminated entirely. Not surprisingly, the neoliberals never advertised this consequence of trade liberalisation as they claimed, one could say lied, that all would benefit. The failure of globalisation to deliver on the promises of mainstream politicians has surely undermined trust and confidence in the establishment. And governments' offers of generous bailouts for the banks that had brought on the 2008 financial crisis while leaving ordinary citizens largely to fend for themselves reinforced the view that this failure was not merely a matter of economic misjudgments. In the US, congressional Republicans even opposed assistance to those who were directly hurt by globalisation. But if globalisation is to benefit most members of society, strong social protection measures must be in place. The Scandinavians figured this out long ago. It was part of the social contract that maintained an open society, open to globalisation and changes in technology. Neoliberals elsewhere have not, and now in elections in the US and Europe, they are having their comeuppance. Yep. And it goes on to say they pushed for policies that restructured markets in ways that increased inequality and undermined overall economic performance. Growth slowed as the rules of the game were rewritten to advance the interests of banks and corporations, the rich and powerful, at the expense of everyone else. Workers' bargaining power was weakened. Now, as I point out in my recent book, which I guess he's pushing, rewriting the rules of the American economy, the rules of the game need to be changed again, and he argues that we need, you know... He wants to change so capitalism can work, which I don't agree with that bit. But I think his analysis of it is bloody excellent, given it comes from a a a, a Nobel um, economics mm. Um, mm. You know, who um, who clearly is a capitalist economist, but understands the problems of that system. He does. Mm. He does. You know, that's exactly right. Uh, who was? I don't know if you know this. Um, who was the famous person who said the price of peace is eternal vigilance? Some some famous person said that. Yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, but that's that's what neoliberalism has done, hasn't it? It's stripped away that, vi that vigilance and um, left it in the hands of people who who are greedy really yeah. and um yeah and that's that's the why uh, the scandinavian model is 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 better in the sense that they they have those layers of vigilance in place you know norway is the one of the first countries in the western world to completely stop um um clear felling of trees oh, yeah wow. de deforestation mm. you know so, yeah, you wouldn't imagine that happening here anytime no soon, would you? <laughs> no, no, you certainly wouldn't. The, the problem no. is that I see is it would be very, how, how could we? Because the, it's as if uh, the, the ball is rolling down the hill so fast now. Is How could we, if we wanted to go down that path, transition Australia 
into a Scandinavian style. Not that I'm saying that we should, mm. but if we were to, to use that as a stepping stone and were to transition to a stepping uh, 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 Scandinavian style, it would be so difficult to make that transition now because we're so you know, there's so much private debt. There's a trillion dollars of private debt and we've got these, these housing bubbles housing and Ponzi market, schemes yeah. and, and it, it, yeah, it's, it's going to be so much harder now than it would have been, say, 20 years mm -hmm. ago. But at least you can get a BMW for nothing. Well, you can get BMW. There's always yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you can always rely on that, which is good. <laughs> and just on that, um, once a month there's a magazine called Boss Falls Out of the Friday version of the Financial Review and... Um, uh, and uh, we've got, um, and last Friday it had an article about a woman who's the two in two I see effectively at uh, Macquarie Bank, which we know pays reasonable salaries to people. Her name's Shamara uh, Wickramanayake. And um, she, her salary last year was a mere 17.6 million, just wow. behind the CEO who gets 18.1. But the Macquarie big pay package looks set to head toward 25 to 30 million a year by 2020. So, so obviously it's not all bad in the neoliberal economy. It's not all bad. No, no it really no, isn't. And for no. some people, it's really, really good. Some people are having a fine They're time. They're having a good time. Yeah. 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 I mean, obviously the climate's... Um, you know, falling to smithereens, so eventually the money yep. won't mean anything. But no, yeah. no. But we have got Howard on the line. We'll take a very quick break, yep. and then we'll um, we'll go to Howard. I want to know where are we meant to go when this house is going to sit here doing nothing for how long? Where am I meant to take my children? I'm I'm, I'm trying the hardest as a parent to do the right thing and care for them. I've had a home for 10 years. I'm not scared of paying bills, but due to the violence, we've had to leave it. And there's not many people at all around this city trying to put their hands up to help me and my kids. I'd just like to say, um, safe steps. They've let me down in a big way. They promised, um, you know, to help relocate me and my children. Well, there we have a typical situation. That's part of the uh, Bendigo Street situation down there at the moment. But Howard, uh, from Friends of uh, Public Housing on the line, Howard rang in last week. We got a bit ballsed up last week, but Howard, I hope you're there today. Are you there? I certainly am, oh, Good, good. Everything's worked well. Wonderful. Um, good day, Howard. Good day. Um, Sorry, I didn't catch your name. Uh, Mark. Yeah, we've got Mark and Emma in and the studio Emma. as well. Yep. Good morning. Hi, Mark and Emma. And look, um, you rang up to tell us a good news story, so let's start there before we get on to the non-new good, good news stories, Howard. Yeah, so like the, great, the good news story, and I'll invite people to get their pens and papers ready because I'm going to give out some details. If you want to support public housing, uh, there's um, a phone number to ring and an email address as well. So what's happened is... Um, the Queensland Labor government has actually uh, torn up the contracts uh, which were signed by the previous Liberal government. The contracts being to hand over um, 90, uh, sorry, hand over 5,000 uh, public housing units in Queensland to the, um, to the charities and the churches and the private organisations, which are otherwise known as social housing or affordable housing or community housing. So the Labor government there has actually torn up that contract and they've also committed uh, to go back on the Liberal National Party policy of privatising 90% of their public housing, which is actually worth $15 billion. So it's massive. It's a massive uh, gain for the, um, the cause of public housing. And uh, Friends of Public Housing is actually inviting people, firstly, to be aware of it, and secondly, to actually give support to the Labor government up there in Queensland. The minister is Mick de Brenny. And uh, uh, people, is it OK if I give out the um Yeah, and, and you might, might spell de Brenny for people as well. Mm. Yep, so it's Mick de Brenny, D-E, Brenny, B-R-E, double N-I. Mm -hmm. uh, phone number is 07-341-4211. And the email address is springwood, all one word, springwood, at parliament.qld.gov.au. All right. We'll get those also, out at the end as well. Yeah. Um, for people who are listening, if you didn't get those details down, you can catch all of that on the podcast as well, which will be on the website, mm. the 3CR website. Go to 3CR City Limits, and this show 
will be there for at least a week, I think. So I think it's I always find it useful to, um, to give out details oh, cool. twice. Yeah, we'll, so do, yeah. we'll do it, as I, as I said, we'll do it at the end of the interview yeah. as well. Yeah, well, good idea. People will probably have their pens in hand by that time if they haven't got them now. Um, they, they, but it does reflect, of course, on the fact that um, Victoria is doing the reverse. We're giving away most of our public housing, and it is literally being given away. Um, to various groups. Howard, that's something your group's had a lot of opposition to for a long time. Yeah, Kevin, people should know that um, although there's a lot of vacant public housing and there has been some giveaway, um, the previous Liberal government actually announced they were going to give away 20% um, and they didn't go ahead with it. So it's still largely intact um, and uh, so we've actually got to fight now because the minister, the Victorian minister, uh, Martin Foley, announced, I think a year ago, that he was planning to um, proceed with some form of giveaway over some unspecified time range. It was just an announcement in the age which we saw. So we've got a fight on our hands here, Mm. and that's what Friends of Public Housing is looking at. People should also know um, that there is a basic difference between public housing and affordable housing. Um, The basic difference being that uh, public housing has uh, rents which are fixed at people's, sorry, fixed at 25% of people's income and there is security of tenure. So a tenant in public housing just cannot be evicted for, because the the landlord wants to put up the rent or any other reason. Mm. Uh, There's got to be a good reason for people to go. I'm, I'm not even sure if they're actually allowed to be evicted at all. Um, uh, I'll come back to the three strikes policy because that's something mm. else which does allow people to be evicted. Um, whereas, on the other hand, you've got affordable housing, which is run by you know your churches and your charities and just just plain private organisations. I think Home Ground might be one that runs some public housing, some affordable housing, and uh, there's no effective limit on the rent there. Um, there's no security of tenure. And the uh, private organisations tend to cherry-pick people. So if you're a person who's homeless or you're a person on low income, they won't take you in, largely. They'll overlook you for someone who's a middle-income earner. Um, So that's a big difference. And that's why Friends of Public Housing, which is comprised mainly of um, public housing tenants, um, and that's why the Homeless Persons Union both are actually demanding that public housing be preserved and we're actually asking for it to be extended and that more public housing be provided by the government. Mm. Does this result, because of this, does this result in the situation that people who go into public housing, the demographic of public housing is becoming sort of more towards the people who are homeless so that you don't get that diversity of people which you, you might find healthier in communities so that you get some people who are homeless but some people on higher incomes. I know from my own you know, experience that when there's a diversity of different demographics and experiences, it lifts ev- everyone up. But with the situation that we have now, whereby um, people who, who maybe who have the most mental health issues are generally going into public housing, you're not getting that diversity of people. Is that, if that makes sense, what I'm saying? Uh, Mark, as a, as a general rule, yeah. uh, it's Friends of Public Housing's policy to extend uh, public housing to everyone that wants it. So the government actually should sit down and, and dra- draft up a policy and draft up targets yeah. um, to prov- invite people of any income. We don't care if you're a millionaire, you can come in and pay 25% of your Yeah, income. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just concerned that. that the affordable housing is snapping all of those pe- people up, if you see, see what I mean, because the, the, afford- the, the charity groups are snapping up the, the, the people like that so that you... Mark, you... I'm not sure that they are. Okay. I actually, I'm actually, that's not an area that I've had a chance to look into. I should say that uh, although... Kevin was very generous in giving me half an hour today. <laughs> he gave me like half an hour's notice to get ready. Um, so I was actually <laughs> prepared for 10 minutes. Just count your blessings, Mahoua. Count your blessings. <laughs> can I take that one on notice? That's a good question. Yeah, sure. No, can it was, I take it was that a thought. Yeah, yeah. That was, that the, um, but on that last point you made, there was, I, I commented on the show a couple of weeks ago, there was a head, front page headline in the Herald the Sun back in July public housing hogged and I talked about the front opening power that people living on 100,000 plus a year living in public housing 
but you got two pages on to the second last paragraph and found they were talking about 12 people, 12 tenants in all of Melbourne, and the department said 10 of them had had recent significant increases and were about to be reviewed. So, you know, it's it's an absolute beat-up story, but it's the sort of anti-public housing story you get all the time, isn't it? Well, that's right. Well, the whole point is, if you're paying 25% of your income and you're earning 100 grand a year, you're paying 25 grand yeah. in rent. Yeah. You know, if you're actually studying your income properly. Yeah. The thing is, because you've got security of tenure, you can come in when you're in a low income and stay in, stay yeah. in there, uh, which we don't have a problem with. No. The thing is, it's possible for the government to actually provide enough public housing for everyone that wants it, because it actually covers its cost. Yeah. The whole thing is, government can actually do a lot a lot of things more efficiently than the private sector. Yeah. This goes back to what we were talking, what you guys were talking about before. It is basic economics, and we've been actually invited to believe the neoliberal theory, which I was actually educated in. I've actually got a commerce degree, um, and I was educated in that as well, to believe that the private sector always does everything better than the government sector, and you take that as, as uh, gospel. And we, we've actually undergone an experiment for the last 30 years of privatisation mm. uh, where we can see that it's, it's not always the case and often not the case, mm. and it's certainly not the case with housing. No, no, exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. All utilities, I think, as people try to pay their yeah. bills. Yeah, utilities. Yeah. Um, all the things that really matter that people can't avoid yeah. actually are better provided by a government monopoly. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I would very much mm. agree with that. Yeah. And, and just back to the um, our favourite paper again. Um, the, they had a headline last week with the, the story that the the tenants at um, the call them tenants, but the people squatting anyway at Bendigo Street uh, had gone to court and got a and got an injunction. And their headline was "Squatter Joke." Um, virtually implying they had no right to do that. And um, they had a feature article inside by one of their right-wing writers about how awful it is and it's attacking the poor and the needy somehow to move them on. And and an editorial that said um, more than 50 squatters, this is the sort of the usual objective editorial, more than 50 squatters deserve to be thrown out of homes that were to house the victims of domestic violence. That was until the freeloaders were granted an injunction. On they go. Uh, it should never have been granted to 14 of the squatters occupying houses left. Then they, of course, attack Andrews over, over East West Link and not building it anyway. They were to make way for the link, but squatters quickly moved in, etc., etc. Um, Premier Andrews should demand water and electricity be cut off to the houses to encourage the squatters to move on. The interim injunction will stay in effect until further orders are made as the case goes to trial when the taxpayers will have to pay for lawyers to represent the squatters. The government needs to reinforce the law, not cave into a bunch of rotors preventing the Salvation Army from housing women and children who have suffered, etc., etc., the usual crap. Um, again, it comes back to that point, of course. Salvation Army suddenly appeared once the squatters got there. Suddenly the Salvation Army needed for the needy. Um, interesting point, Howard, that homeless aren't needy, obviously. Well, there's a whole lot of things we can draw from that particular comment mm. um, in the Herald Sun. Well, I presume you're talking about the Herald Sun. It, it was indeed. It was indeed. Yeah, surprise, surprise, yeah. So the first thing is, let's say that the Homeless Persons Union are our heroes. They're extremely courageous. They're brave. Uh, they're doing it without resources. They don't, have, they don't have the automatic access to the public that the government does and that the, me- the mainstream media does. And they've managed to hold off the government for many months, right? And they, you know, a lot of a lot of them. The reason they're homeless is because they have um, certain psychological or other problems, mm. um, and 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 yet they've managed to do that. And also, from the point of view of friends of public housing, they've actually managed to put the whole issue of public housing on the agenda, mm. which we weren't able Definitely. to do. And they've mm. done that because they've occupied. It was the occupy yeah. occupation mm. that is actually. Um, Put the whole thing on the uh, the public agenda in the public mind. It's actually got even um, a paper like our favourite paper talking about it. So that's a major achievement, is, yeah. and I really, really, really admire those people, mm. and I fully support them, and I fully support everything they do. And I'll say another thing: um, they've actually pointed out that uh, the government has not offered any of the other vacant, many thousands of vacant uh, properties. Uh, including those seized for the um, east-west link, they haven't offered any of those to um, either the um, 
the homeless people or to the uh, women seeking refuge. Mm, exactly. So, yeah. in other words, it's a false choice. Yeah. We're, we're being asked to believe that um, we have a choice between either housing the homeless in those Bendigo Street properties or we have a choice to uh, house the women seeking refuge under the umbrella of the salvos. Yeah. Well, that's a choice the government has actually manufactured yeah. because the government has the resources and they actually have the empty properties to do both. Yeah, yes, exactly. So we're asking... Leave it. Okay. Well, if you want to have those particular properties for the women's refuge, give the other properties to the homeless. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. We were just talking earlier. I mean, there are eighty thousand empty. Pro- I mean, not all of them are obviously government owned, but just to look at it from the larger perspective, as we were saying earlier, there are over eighty thousand empty properties in in Melbourne alone. You know. That's right. And so that's a failure. It's a failure of the housing market. Yeah, or the housing exactly. sector as we know it. Exactly. And yeah. um, Friends of Public Housing is not only looking at public housing, we've actually got a 24-point policy to um, reform the whole housing sector so that it's actually geared towards, number one, public housing tenants, number two, private tenants, and number three, people that want to own their own homes. Because at the moment, everyone, every single one of those three type of uh, uh, housing consumer is actually losing out under the system. Definitely, yeah. Mm. So, yeah. in other words, basically we've, we've realised, we've made the realisation that the, the, uh, the way the housing sector is structured at the moment is geared towards um, profits oh, yeah. and investors. Yeah. Uh, and we, we actually recognise that, well, shock horror, there is actually a place for investors, but only insofar as they're actually able to provide more housing and only for the uh, people who actually want to rent houses. I mean, you can actually have an investor who invests in a, in a development, like a development company, like, I don't know, what, what are the names of the development companies? Um, oh, there's Pete, which I enjoy, because its, its slogan is bringing land to life. So apparently, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> apparently if land just lies vacant and has ecology on it, it's uh, not doing anything. Cover it with some concrete that will bring it to life. Yeah. Whatever, whatever their slogans are, look, they do a job. They, pr- they actually create housing. Um, so... But that's a developer. So mm. the developer doesn't have to continue to own no. the property in order to, to, to build the, um, the property. That's the, that's the nature of the development company. So mm. that's where you should be um, actually allowing the uh, private ownership to happen. Mm. And then once it's built, it should be sold on to people according to whether they want to own their own house or whether they want to rent. Yeah. Um, so and we actually see that there's actually... Uh, a place for actually limiting, for example, limiting the number of houses that uh, any one person can own. Yes. Because it's that competition between uh, buyers that's actually driving up the, the price of housing. That's, mm. that's exactly it. That was the, I mean, obviously, n- negative gearing is, is, is disastrous, full stop. But the fact yeah. that they didn't have a limit to, say, one or two houses, mm. or preferably one, or preferably none at all, obviously... That in itself is catastrophic. Yeah, that's that's, that's huge. Right. Well, people at least people have actually um, realised that there is a problem with negative giving mm. because don't forget, until about five years ago, um, the rise in in um, housing prices that was actually applauded by the mainstream media. Mm. It was only when when uh, the critical threshold of I don't know what a, a large number of young people were being shut out mm. of owning their own house. That suddenly they changed their tune. Yeah. But the whole point is, the rising housing prices was never economic. It was never good for people. No, never. No, no. Mm. Was... But that's still the case, in fact, Howard. Because in fact, I mean, not the Herald Sun, but the Financial Review, it regularly has uh, headlines about house prices going up. Um, the market looking good, uh, mm. and it it thinks it's wonderful it that does. it's happening. At the same time, the same people say we need to make housing of houses affordable, but they in in the financial review they actually think it's wonderful that house prices are going up. Yeah, well, it's the old double think of capitalism. It is, but, yeah. but I guess there's a difference between the financial review and the other more um, popular yeah. uh, papers. Yeah. Um, because the popular papers actually have to uh, appeal to you know, non-investors who actually have to live in the houses and pay the rents and pay the mortgages. The, the, the problem is, though, is that we, we, it's very difficult now to, without completely breaking the system completely. How can we create a society where house prices can come down? Because so many people 
own multiple houses and they they have house prices have to keep going up they have yeah, to because of the debt they, they can't end up with with mortgages that are worth mm. more than their houses mm. so mm. they will try and keep this whole ponzi scheme mm. going if That's everyone right. only yeah. owned one house and property prices went down it would be okay because mm. it'd all be re- relative you know it's like my house has gone down but so has yours so we've created this this awful situation and and there's mm. there's no real way out for people well, you, who are trying to buy their got, own house if you've only got one house its value is irrelevant yeah, exactly. Because exactly. exactly. you know, yeah, if you sell it, you've got to buy another one. Anyway, exactly. So. That's yeah. exactly yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that's why it's such a disaster. And that's why we, we have to rely so much more on affordable housing and public housing um, in the future, because it's not realistic that anyone's going to be able to afford mm. to break into the housing market anytime soon because of the way negative gearing has made it so that we have to keep having this house price rise mm. all the time. Well, the thing is, Mark, we need to face up to that now. The sooner we face up to yeah. it and make the changes, the better. Yeah. But the point is, if we make the changes, there'll be people that lose money on their investments, but no one's going to be without a house. Yes. That's the whole point. Exactly. Um, the Labor Party, as people know, came up with a policy for the last federal election of actually um, not allowing negative gearing, I think it was not allowing negative gearing, for further investments, which actually addresses the point you're talking about. It doesn't touch what's already negatively geared. Mm. Well, okay, well, if that means we're going to phase in the changes. Well, that's, that's possible. Well, we don't, we don't necessarily agree with that, but at least it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. But the thing is, we've actually identified 24 things that can be done by the government in terms of regulating and providing finance. Mm. Well, for example, we talk about um, the government setting up uh, a government bank, you know, as we used to have, um, until our Labor Party uh, privatised it some years ago. Mm-hmm. But if you actually had a government bank, the government bank could then finance home ownership at interest rates which suited the uh, afford the um, the pockets, the um, the hip pocket of the uh, actual borrower. Um, also, when, for example, if you set up a government bank, you could actually attract funds to it from the public by ceasing to guarantee deposits in private banks. Mm. Now, I think that would be pretty attractive these days because, mm. you know, private banks don't actually have... A, people don't actually have a lot of faith in private banks anymore. No. no. And why should the government... I mean, why should the government actually guarantee deposits in private banks? We mm. keep being told how wonderful the private sector is and that, that it doesn't need government, government assistance. Well, guaranteeing deposits is actually a form of assistance from the government to the private sector. Mm. Exactly. Total hypocrisy. Yes. And once you have those sort of subsidies, the whole market forces thing is thrown out of skew. I mean, they talk about one market forces controlling the economy, but once they want government to intervene to help them, but once that happens... It's no longer market forces. Yeah, exactly right. That's exactly right. But the um, the assistance is actually coming to the people that don't really need it or an institution that doesn't need it that is actually creating gross inequalities in wealth and creating poverty, whereas you could actually provide the assistance directly to the people that need it. Yeah, we yeah. just had a, a listener said a question in um, instead of a private land developer building and managing home homes, why not a building cooperative society to manage houses for the mm. homeless? Well, that's happened over the time. But any comment on that, Howard? I'm not sure how that would how would that differ from what I was just referring. I to. don't know. It would probably probably have answered it actually in many ways. But yeah, it, it, the other point I, I, we've mentioned on this we we regularly in this program go to the question of all the public land that gets flogged off that private developers end up with, with no public housing. And just recently we've had uh, the Pentridge development, which was a public property, which is now being advertised at very expensive private development. There's people been complaining down at Hampton Station about a development there on public Victrack land, uh, which has little or no affordable or public housing in it. And right near where I live at Jewel Station, there's a development taking place uh, where there was a campaign by locals to have affordable housing put in, but there's not you know, affordable or pub, more particularly public housing put in, and yet the whole thing is a total private development on public land. Mm. Um, yeah, there's lots. Yeah. That's the whole point. Like what happened in the mid '80s was the, the Hawke government stopped building um, public housing units, um, and until that point, I think there was something like 10,000 public housing. Uh, units being built um, every year. Um, But, Kevin, I think we need to actually distinguish again. We shouldn't actually say public housing or affordable housing because the public housing tenants actually are opposed 
to um, government subsidy of affordable housing, mm. the affordable mm. housing sector. That's money that could be going into um, into public housing. Mm. Well, well there, needs to, the oh, there needs to almost be a zone, like a zoning mechanism for public housing. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Really? Yeah, well, yeah. there's plenty of government um, property, and also government can buy property to mm. develop. Mm. Um, public housing on. Can I um, just, seeing as I'm with Friends of Public Housing, maybe I should tell people about Friends of Public Housing as well. Um, we've actually got a, a page on Facebook, Friends of Public Housing Victoria, and there's also um, a blog spot which people can look at, uh, which is savepublichousing all one word, savepublichousing.blogspot.com.au mm-hmm. um, which is actually um, run by our leader, our fearless leader, Fiona Ross, mm-hmm. our tireless, fearless leader. <laughs> yes, I've tried. We cannot get Fiona on air, though, with this program. She, she, she keeps Fiona's, to, a, she, Fiona's a little bit um, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, I, I, shy of the public Well, eye. she comes to a lunch I go to occasionally. She occasionally comes to a lunch I have regularly with some people. and uh, But she's still, we can't, she's wonderful. I mean, she, she's so articulate, but they, she, she feels for some reason she, can't, she won't come on air for some reason, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what it is. Yeah. I'm a mouth. She's the, yeah, that's she's right. the leader. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're a damn good mouth. mouth. Howard, look, just Thank before you. also, we um, we did mention we'd repeat those numbers you gave earlier in the show at the end of it all. <clears throat> yep, I'll do that now. Yeah. So um, we're inviting people to um, send their support to uh, uh, the Queensland ALP government for stopping the privatisation, the handover of public housing. Uh, the minister is Mick De Brenny, and the contact details are phone number zero seven three four one four two one one zero, and the email is springwood at parliament dot qld dot gov dot au. Right. And actually, um, Kevin, if I can actually give out some. Uh, just, uh, I just, I just mention once again for people who might and might not heard it the first time. It's D E B R E double N I. The De Brenny yep. bit, yeah. Okay. Victor Brenny, yep. Yeah. Um, I have some information here, which was posted on our Facebook page. If people want to support the Homeless Persons Union of Victoria, um, pointing out that our Prime Minister uh, actually gave five dollars um, yes. to a homeless person yes. and had his photo. Posted. Mm. I presume it was in our favourite newspaper. Yes, it was um, wonderful. So we're inviting people to at least match what our Prime Minister did. I know five dollars is a lot of money, but if you want to support the Homeless Persons Union of Victoria, these are the details I've got. It's Bank Australia, BSB three one three one four zero, account one two zero eight one six two six. Mm. All right. And well, I can assure you that I will certainly make good, very good use of your money. No mm. doubt uh, Malcolm went straight back to uh, Parliament and claimed expenses for that $5. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a cynic, Kevin. <laughs> Quite rightfully so, though. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, OK, look, Howard, thanks so much for that, and we'll, uh, we'll doubtless talk again, but thanks so much. You're, you're a damn good voice. That's yeah, good. thank you, Howard. Thanks, that Kevin. was very, very, okay. very thank good you. to talk to you. Thank thanks, you. Mark and Emma. Thanks. Okay, radio. Okay, bye. Radio. There's Howard from Friends of Public Housing, and um, well, no, no more to be said. Really. No, no. Uh, just a quick thing on the difference between cooperative and a and a private developer. I suppose if we do put development in the hands of co- cooperatives rather than private developers. Mm. There's more public consultation yeah. and, and mm. more checks and balances. And also, of course, the term affordable is, is relative, isn't it? Mm. Sorry, were you going to say? I think um, that's how my grandparents built their house in the suburbs, yeah. was a, a building cooperative. Yeah. There used so, to be those years ago, yeah. and yeah. They, they develop in, they have a whole street of people in the yeah, same yeah, society. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. They have yeah. those areas of vigilance in place. We do need to Okay, that's it. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.